Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hey, everybody, this is Joe Lynch, and welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Today's topic is automating cross-border transportation with Matt Silver. Welcome, Matt. How are you? Good. How are you? Very, very good. I'm very excited to talk about this topic. I'm excited to talk to you, too, Matt. We talked a little bit offline, and you've got an interesting background, and you've got a cool new company, and I'm interested in talking about this because, as we talked about, I'm doing a lot of stuff cross-border these last few years. I think everybody is. So, Anyway, Matt, before we get into this, introduce yourself and your company. So I'm Matt Silver. I'm the founder and CEO of Forager. We're based in Chicago, and our primary focus is on building technology to automate cross-border transportation. Much, much needed service. So Matt, tell us, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What's your background that way? So I actually have a very interesting background. I grew up in a logistics family. I've been around it my entire life. I used to play with toy trucks as a little kid versus you know, the little race cars. I went to film school for college, actually. So I didn't go to the traditional, you know, Big Ten schools with with supply chain backgrounds or anything like that. I just, I learned the industry by working at Coyote when I was 19 years old and growing up within it and being around it my entire adult life. And that's ultimately what I used to, to build my own career. Nice, nice. So you grew up in the Chicago area? Yes. Born and raised in Chicago, lived there my almost my entire life, although I spent four years living in California. Thought I could make it in the film industry, moved to LA, spent a year not making it in the film industry, and then decided to go go back down and work at Coyote in San Diego. And so I was enjoyed living in San Diego for three years. And you, your parents are the founders of Coyote, correct? Yes, that's correct. So you kind of grew up in that uh, freight royalty, if there is such a thing. <laughs> Great background. Oh, yeah. So, and, <laughs> yep. and, and we, we, we have to talk separately about this, but I feel like film is becoming such an important way to sell things that it didn't used to sell. Like it's so, so much going on with freight waves. And I, I, everybody I talked to lately has a studio. And I, when I ran across your background, I thought, oh, these guys are going to have a studio at some point because, because the boss knows how to make film. No, I, I'm, I'll let Craig continue doing all the filmmaking in the industry. <laughs> I'm still betting they'll, they'll get the bug at some point. But so you're, when did you start this company? So we moved our first load back in December of 2018. Okay. So I know our focus today is going to be automating cross-border transportation with Matt Silver. And so you had a real solid background in this and you saw a real need for a solution to what's going on on the on our border crossing. So we're talking about over-the-road problems, mostly? For right now, yes. Pr- primarily over-the-road truckload and LTL. So l- let's talk a little bit about what are the biggest problems you saw in cross-border before we get into talking about the solutions. So the three biggest problems, all this comes down to really service and price at the end of the day. Service is anything from where's my load, what's going on with it, I have no idea where it is in Mexico. I don't know what the map of Mexico looks like. I've never looked at one before. Or I don't understand what's going on in these emails because it's all in Spanish. Or I don't understand the customs process. And I don't understand how a load gets from, let's say, Guadalajara to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And those are kind of the core focus or the core problems that I've seen a lot of the time. And then another area in which I, I hear a lot of complaints about is obviously the spend. So when you look at 
what a lot of carriers are charging for a lot of freight going across the border, there's a lot of parity in the pricing from, you know, some of the national guys going all the way down to some of the medium-sized guys that have between 100 and 250 trucks. So bringing transparency to pricing is something that I think is important to a lot of shippers. Yep. I will also say this, having been both on the logistics side and also on the shipper side is, you know, we talked offline about those handoffs and understanding who's responsible for what, especially once it gets to the border or when we're talking about drayage, that can be very confusing, you know, and, and especially when somebody says, yeah, this company in Mexico is going to handle the drayage and you say, oh gosh, I don't know. I, they speak a different language. I can't call them. I mean, more and more people here in the U.S. speak Spanish, but it's not, <laughs> it's not a hundred percent clearly. And that those language barriers and not understanding some of the jargon they use down at the border can all be very disconcerting to a shipper. Absolutely. It's, there's a lot of different parties involved in a single shipment moving in or out of Mexico. And so that's, that's generally where the challenge of the landing is understanding who's handling what and who's responsible for what. Yep. So it's those handoffs, roles and responsibility. And again, not just not understanding the cross-border process. Am I right to say that? Yes, that's accurate. So you said something when we talked offline about, you know, when people talk about spending money, you mentioned service and spend is obviously paramount in everybody's mind. But you said that even though they don't spend the majority of their money on the cross-border, they're spending the majority of their, a big chunk of their time working on cross-border. Because once it gets to Texas or California or Detroit, the cross-border seems less of a challenge. I mean, when it's on this side of the border. <laughs> yes, but at the same time, you don't just, there are some customers, obviously, de- depending on the Inco terms, like if they're grabbing the freight once it hits Laredo after it picked up in Mexico, then sure, that was really easy for them. They picked up the load in Laredo and delivered it to, you know, Memphis. But one challenge that comes with when you're, when you have a customer that's arranging freight and they're only controlling the U.S. portion they still have the exact same problem. They don't know when the load's crossing. They don't know where it is. They don't know when it'll be in Laredo. Yep. And so they've run into two issues. Well, w- one issue is what I just described is where is it? And because of what that does, they try to pre-plan for capacity. And when you look at how, when you think about how pricing works for any shipment anywhere in the U.S., if you have 48 hours of lead time or 72 hours of lead time, you're going to get better capacity than you will when you have to pick something up same day. Because oh, yeah. the carrier base just narrows significantly. And the guys that you're looking for, the guys that are going to have a true backhaul, you know, somebody based in Memphis that happens to be stuck in Laredo, that guy's not sitting there day of waiting for a load to hit. That guy pre-booked his stuff three days out. So when you think about planning for a load to cross and you think about the fact that it might do, it might take anywhere from six hours to six days. And so you have a customer saying, Hey, I need you guys to go pick up this load on Monday in Laredo and deliver it to Memphis on Wednesday. And when you ask them to do that and the driver shows up in Laredo at the facility and they go, sorry, we don't have it. Something happened over the weekend. There was a red light. It didn't cross the border. So then they end up having to pay a truck order not used. And that's 150, 250 right down the drain that they don't, they could have prevented if they had visibility into what was going on before the load even crossed. Yeah. So planning gets impacted by all of that. And so even if you kind of try to boil it down to like, yeah, it sounds like it's easier when it gets to Laredo, everything leading to getting to Laredo is where the challenge is. Right, right. And it's, it's interesting. I had some, uh, somebody say not too long ago to me, they said, 
I have a customer who acts as if trucks are circling their facility all day waiting to pick up. <laughs> and, that, and that's not the case. If you own a trucking company, you're not interested in just wandering around waiting for that freight to cross the border on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. You need to know exactly when it crosses so you're not wasting your resources and your truck. Yeah. And on top of it, the I think the ratio for freight coming from Mexico to the US for and versus southbound is like seven to one. So as soon as the driver is empty and ready to pick up a load, he has his pick of the, the litter. Like there's literally so much freight coming out of Mexico right now that capacity is certainly tight. And combine that with the fact that you've had two of the larger trucking companies that service Mexico pull out of Mexico in the past year, that creates a huge challenge and it creates a huge gap in the space. And ultimately, you know, yeah, the drivers are not circling around the facility just waiting for a load to show up. Like they've got their pick. They can take so, whatever so load they that, want. So are they going to take the load that's going to take four hours because the load hasn't crossed? Or are they going to take the load that takes 20 minutes because it's sitting on a dock? Yep. So say that again, Matt. So there's seven times more demand going from from south to north than north to south? Yes. So seven loads northbound for every load south. Nice. Nice. The so, U.S. Yeah, is importing more from Mexico than, than exporting right. to Mexico. Right. So yeah, to your point, the the challenge might be if you don't get that truck loaded, they'll get loaded down the street. <laughs> exactly. Drivers don't like waiting. Uh, I'm sure sure you're very well caught up on the whole ELD situation, but hours of service are everything right now for drivers. You know, if if carriers can convert freight to drop trailer if it's consistent, they'll do that in a heartbeat because they can they can maximize the driver's hours. So literally, right now, time is money. And if yep. you make someone sit there for four hours and then the driver gets stuck somewhere in the middle of Texas rather than being able to get home or being able to get to the next location, then you're you're putting the driver in a really bad spot. And on top of it, compensation for those drivers when they get stuck like that doesn't really pay the bills for them. And I think that's really unfair to do to the entire supply part of our industry. I totally agree. I mean, we obviously have a, a, a shortage of drivers and then this ELD came I don't think anybody was thrilled with ELD, but I will say if there's anything that came that's positive out of it, it's this this recognition of that we're abusing the drivers. And you know, I always have thought, you know, take take the truck out of it. If I said, "Man, I'm going to drop, I'm going to stop by your house, I'm going to drop this off," and then you suddenly weren't there, I'd be like, "Damn, dude, why didn't you call me?" And that that is just basic courtesy. So often, I feel like that basic courtesy got lost in our business. We have to do a better job helping our drivers. I also think we all have friends and family. We all have a life outside of work. If you've planned on being home for your kid's ball game, or you planned on spending a long weekend away, you can't have this happen to you. And so, yeah, I, I think to your point, we need to do a better job on that planning. And that's what we're going to talk about now. Yep. So we got lots of problems when it comes to cross-border. And, and by the way, you just rattled off a whole bunch of uh, cross-border. So tell us, do you, does your, are we going to talk about all the cross-border in Mexico and U.S.? I mean, to Canada also? I'm, yeah, I'm happy. So everybody puts kind of cross-border. When you say cross-border for North America or you say NAFTA or the new USMCA, Mexico and Canada kind of get lumped together. But the reality of it is like, and I hope nobody gets offended by this, but Canada is almost like an extension of the U.S. Sure, it's definitely a different country. Generally speaking, Canadians are really friendly. There's a different currency in Canada, and there's certain rules that are applied during certain times of the year, like the thaw in Ontario and Quebec. But at the end of the day, it's a driver that picks up a load in Toronto, and he's going to deliver that the next day in Chicago. When you 
look at a load picking up in Mexico, you've got a Mexican driver that picks up that load, potentially with an American trailer. They bring it up to the border, a different truck moves it across the border, and then a third truck grabs that trailer and takes it to the delivery, not to mention that you're coordinating with the customs broker in Mexico and in the U.S. at the same time. So I see Mexico and Canada being kind of grouped together, and we service both countries, obviously, but the juicier stuff, if you want to talk about kind of the more challenging parts of transportation, it's definitely at the southern border. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when it comes, I think we've been, when they say this, I'm in my 50s, I didn't learn to speak Spanish. That wasn't a big push at my school. They taught us French. I don't know why, because so we could speak with the French Canadians, apparently. And even they speak a different (laughs) dialect. But the reason back then we didn't learn Spanish is they weren't a major trading partner, and now they are. Yep. And the, to your point, the challenges really are on the southern border. So that's where we'll kind of focus. And it sounds like where you and your company is focused. So we've talked a little bit about the problems. Talk about, so you obviously started a business with this idea that I'm going to do a better job on cross-border. So tell us kind of what was some of your hypothesis when you you guys were starting this business? So I'll, why don't I tell you a little bit of backstory briefly, which is that I, yep. I worked at Coyote for a long time and I worked in carrier sales, customer operations, private fleet backhauling, where I really found my passion though. And I love everything about logistics. But what I really fell in love with was moving Mexico freight, moving freight in and out of Mexico and trying to figure out how to solve those problems for those customers. And so when I left Coyote in 2018, it was March 2018, I think. I actually left and was going to go work at a tech company in Chicago that services the logistics industry, but is not a logistics company. And during the interview process, I kept talking about freight. And he said, hey, you keep talking about freight. We're not a freight company. Are you sure you want to do this? And I said, (laughs) honestly, no, I don't think I do. I didn't want to just take a job and a nice salary for the sake of just making money. It just that that doesn't appeal to me the same way that, that doing something fun does. And so... I spent a lot of time kind of thinking, contemplating. I did a lot of photography (laughs) during that summer and ultimately reached out to two of my closest friends, Jesse and Jordan, and asked them if they would join me in helping start Forager. And the whole purpose of why we started Forager was to specifically service cross-border freight. Think of it more as specialists instead of generalists. You look at the freight industry as a whole and it's what, $780 billion in, in, you know, opportunity for freight brokerages in the U.S. market. And there's so many brokers that are doing that. Everybody from CH, Coyote, XPO, TQL, Echo, like they're all, that's their bread and butter is the U.S. market. They're moving thousands and thousands and thousands of loads a day. And if I wanted to do something interesting and unique and different in this industry, I knew that doing U.S. domestic shipments wasn't really the way to go about doing it. Nothing against any of that. We do move a tiny little bit of U.S. freight just for a couple of customers that asked for help on it, but that's we. I have nothing to offer to a customer right now for their, you know, refrigerated turkey meat or turkey, you know, deli meat shipping within the United States. Like, what am I going to do with that? Call the same reefer carriers that everybody else is calling. Right, and so, right. we wanted to specialize in cross border. We wanted to to stand out by being different than everybody else in this industry. We're trying to build a very different culture. I learned a lot about culture at Coyote from my parents. You know, Marion was very big on culture there, and that was a core focus. But there's something to think about when it comes to how culture is built and how you create an environment that you want to use to build and scale a business. And for us, you know, the people that we've brought on are people that don't, you know, a lot of people don't have a logistics background. 
a lot of people are multilingual or multicultural. Uh, you know, some people that came from Central and Latin America in general. And so bringing those types of people into our business have been our, our focus on building that, that culture, which will ultimately feed our entire business. Yep. Matt, if I could just interject here is I work with a, a lot of transportation logistics companies, do a lot of sales training, a lot of coaching. And if there's one theme that keeps coming back over and over again is you have to specialize in a market this big. And, you know, just cross border is an enormous market. I don't know if you have a dollar amount, but we all know it's a huge market and it's going to continue to grow. But my sense is always the same is the day to day of our business can get very commoditized. So, you know, you talk to somebody, say, I can get a truck to pick up at this dock and deliver to this dock. It's hard to say I have an advantage. Can you just mention that same thing? So if you, it's hard to get that advantage, what do you do? And what you've done is you've said, I'm going to pick a big problem and we're going to go solve it. And I say it all the time to people, when you say you're everything to everybody, you're probably nobody to everybody. So pick, <laughs> pick and specialize and have a, have a great niche. And it sounds like you guys have got one. Yeah. And I saw stuff. So we've got a couple sales reps that are, that do have a background in the industry and I saw some of the emails they were sending early on and it was obviously the stuff that they were used to writing where they used to work. And I was like, dude, stop saying that we, that we move freight throughout all 48 and that we serve as Mexico and Canada. And then we've got private fleet and we've got this and that we own our own trucks. Like, no, we don't, none of that, none of that is real. One of our core values is telling the truth and being completely honest with our customers. And so tell them exactly what we do. That's all we do. We do cross-border and we also do container drage from the ports. And that is the only thing that we're interested in doing. So when we participate in a bid with a customer, unless they push us to do it, we generally won't participate in the U.S. part of their bid. If there's a couple core lanes that we think we can automate and repeat, sure. But outside of that, everything that we're pricing and we're going you know, pretty aggressive on the pricing on it is cross-border. Interesting. We'll get right back to the podcast in just a moment. If you sell transportation or logistics services, the Logistics of Logistics can help you sell more. Our customized program will help you understand your sales personality, including your strengths and blind spots, get more sales leads, and improve your communication and salesmanship. We can also position you as a recognized industry expert and help you reach your target audience. To learn more, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And now, back to the show. So today's topic is automating cross-border transportation. So Matt, tell us how you guys go about automating cross-border transportation. How, what, that's the solution that, that you guys are bringing to the market. Tell us a little bit about how that works. So a lot of this is transferable to other markets at the end of the day. But when you look at how a Mexico load moves and you think about the fact that there's all those different parties involved in a single shipment, trying to coordinate all that, trying to pigeonhole all that into a traditional TMS that you might see on the market, it doesn't work well. You lose a lot of data. You lose a lot of information. We've built a command center, call if you want to call it that. It's called Scout. But we've built a command center that allows somebody to understand where their freight is at all times on either side of the border, who's hauling it, what their information is, what the information is that we need to provide to customs. And every part of those processes can be automated. So we're never going to be like a, a you know self-service automation machine that you don't have a single human being working here. Like, yes, we will have a self-service or we do have a self-service component to it. We still need people. People are super important to what we're doing. And so 
the people are here to manage exceptions and manage relationships. And when you think about automation and you hear automation a lot in this industry, it's one of the buzzwords along with AI, machine learning, right. and, and blockchain. And everyone loves all of those buzzwords. But for automation, what that means to me is not having to spend an hour figuring out how to price a load, but getting a rate instantly. It also means not having to remember, oh, if I have this load moving from Dallas to Monterey, I know that I need to call carrier one, two, three, four, and five, and I don't remember any of the rates, so hopefully they can give me their rates. So automating the actual process of picking the right carrier and storing their data and their pricing and their network and using that data to continually build up that system and that network. And then obviously the tracking part of it is core to, to that too. And so we're partnering with Project 44 to get API, API-based tracking and visibility for the actual tractor while the freight's moving. So at the end of the day, a load should be able to move through the system without a person yeah, so, being involved. So when, and I know there's no uh, absolutes, but in general, what percent of these shipments can move without uh, human interaction? About 70% of our freight right now is something that, and just to be completely transparent, our tech is, it, it'll never be done. It's always evolving. Uh, we're about to release, <laughs> yeah, we're about to re- release the first iteration of it, but it's, of our freight, I would say right now, is something that will fully move through our system without a single forager touching it. That's wild. And that's a good starting point. And obviously, in a few years, you hope to say 80 and then 90, and and then they get to the point where it's um, running 80, 90%, 100% without human touch. That would be fantastic. Obviously, it saves a lot of money, and and it probably frees your people up to do some other stuff that automation and AI can't do. Exactly. Like solving a problem and talking to an upset customer, talking to an an angry driver. You tell a driver to deadhead 300 miles and then (laughs) the app says, oh, give him $150 and see how that works. You know, you need to compensate the driver for those those problems and, and you need to actually deal with those things. And so you can't, you know, as technology evolves and as you start to see automated, I guess, artificial intelligence that's communicating with people as if it's a person doing it. Sure, they might start to learn how to do some of that stuff, but at the end of the day, someone really badly wants to talk to a human. The same way when you call into you know any airline and you're waiting on hold and you say, agent, and they say, come on, just give me one chance, please. And you say agent again, and then after the third or fourth time screaming agents into the phone, you finally get to talk to a person and tell them what your problem yep, is. Yep, and man, I want to circle back to something you said. So the average transportation management system wasn't built to manage cross-border shipments. And you guys have done that? Yes. So let me just walk through this. So let's just say there's a factory down in Mexico and it's producing some good. And then it comes to the, so you can have that in your TMS. Then you're obviously having all the custom stuff that happens at the border. Yep. And then you also have the U.S. carrier and the delivery on that. It's all automated. It will be automated. Not all of that's automated yet. We're, right, right, right. We're right. literally in the process of building it. But it's all in your system. Yeah, it's all in the road. It's all in your system. Yeah. That's slick because that is a challenge when you're, uh, you know, we all have transportation management systems and they keep getting better and better. But I think there's a challenge is it won't fit everything. And when I always think about it, and I've used some very good transportation management systems in the past, is you have a whole bunch of stuff that ends up in notes. And if you have stuff in notes or the comments or wherever, it really can never be part of that AI learning because it's just, it, it's got to be a field. It's got to yeah, be something so, that I can act, can measure and take action in the future. 
It's interesting because I hate the notes field in every TMS I've ever looked at. And <laughs> I I, I'll, be, I'll tell you this actually also is kind of part of our backstory. I, I demoed probably 25 different TMSs that exist in the market. And we, all, we ended up landing on one that we've been using and will continue to use for the time being while we continue to build our technology. But notes are garbage. They, they don't translate to anything and you end up like there's a field for a pickup number but somebody puts the pickup number in the notes section and then the driver doesn't see what gets translated onto the rate confirmation he doesn't see the pickup number and so then he goes to the shipper and he tries to get loaded and they go you don't have a pickup number and then he calls somebody at you know at in the tracking center at the broker that he's calling and says I don't have a pickup number they told me to get to the back of the line and now I have to wait another six hours and then the load's going to be delayed on the delivery end so it causes a lot of problems by having notes. Now, I will caveat that by saying the first version that we're about to release of our TMS is, or our customer portal, I guess, part of it is there is a notes field. But I gave a, our team a mandate of making sure that we eliminate the notes field within the next year. Because I, anything that goes into that, I think, can be turned into data as long as we understand what that needs to look like. And I think that the most important thing in this entire industry is data. The more data that you can generate, the more data that you can build and control and um, right. utilize to make your customer's life easier, make your carrier's lives easier, make your internal operations more efficient and effective, the better. And so I don't yeah. want anything in our system that is not data that we can use to manage and make things easier for everybody. Yep, yeah, Matt. When I think about a TMS, we talked about that for just a minute here. Is it has a, so much capability compared to what we had prior. You know, it, it, we get better and better TMS. But we still have lots of emails that go out. We still have Excel spreadsheets and they get attached emails. And I've always thought those are great until the last few years when I've talked to people like you where you start to go, yeah, why am I sending an email? The problem with an email is it can never be part of the data that you just described. So we have to almost get to the point where we say these shipments happen without emails. And if there's an email, if there has to be some messaging that has to happen, it has to somehow get back into the system. And I know these things won't happen overnight, but but they have to happen at some point. Yeah, and there's there's some companies that are doing some pretty cool stuff with email and like trying to get data out of emails. Somebody, you know, Parade. Have you heard of those guys out in California? No, I have not. So uh, Parade, it's something about carrier interfacing and, and bringing in the data from the carriers into the system and being able to book them on loads. And they've got a, a strategy around the email side of it that I think is pretty interesting. But you're right. At the end of the day, like. We're trying to cut down on email simply by the fact that we just started using Slack. My CTO has been begging me to switch to Slack for like months and I finally gave in to that. And so we've cut down on email significantly, at least internally. And most of the emails that are going out are generally either with customers or carriers. But as we continue to build our platform, uh, the goal is for most of those transactions to move into the system. And whether it's via API, EDI, or customer or carrier logging into our website... None of that should entail an email that's needed, unless they want one. When I was still managing freight, when I was at a 3PL, I would always tell my guys, okay, if there's like some sort of billing exception like that, that there was uh, something had to happen or that moved late, I would always say, put it in the notes and then send me an email on it. So I, I and also sometimes I'd say send it to the CFO. And the idea was we always wanted to make sure we had, you know, some sort of documentation a week or so later because a lot of shipments go by. and. Yep. And I thought that was good business practice, but you know, like all good business practice, they evolve. And so it sounds like we're moving <laughs> closer and closer to everything's in the system. 
interesting. So anyway, this is absolutely what's needed. Again, I've been working a lot in Laredo and um, cross border for the last few years. And I tell you, there's a, a lot of good stuff happening there. But uh, what you're talking about here is a nice niche that needed to be filled with a, with a technology solution. But what I like about this, Matt, and I'm not just saying this to be nice, is you're a freight guy first and kind of a technologist second. So often you run into guys who are both who are very techie or very much the freight guy. It sounds as if you've kind of got that hybrid where you've grew up with the technology, but you also clearly grew up in a freight world. Yeah, and that that definitely weighed into why we were able to raise capital from venture firms. Yeah. You know, we're VC backed. We've got the best VC in Chicago in the Midwest that that invested in us in our seed round, Chicago Ventures. They have been super supportive so far with what everything that we've been doing. But you're dead on about that. Like the you see a lot of these logistics tech companies spinning out or DFMs or whatever, you know, buzzword of the day that you want to use for it. Here's the deal. What is DFM? Digital freight marketplace or digital freight matching or uh, some other thing it. that's digital freight related. That's what all the cool kids say. I, uh, <laughs> it's it's really challenging to how do you start a freight brokerage without having ever brokered a load before? How do you call a customer at, or how do you do that without having the experience of having called a customer at eight o'clock at night and said, Hey, really sorry, our driver didn't pick this load up. Can we get it tomorrow or the next day? That's not the answer. That's not the question that you're calling with. You call saying, Hey, this driver couldn't make the pickup. We already got another guy for you. He's going to be there in 30 minutes. And you don't just do that by being a tech guy that says, Oh, I'm looking at all of you freight people out there and you guys are kind of dumb. I'm here to fix everything. Right, right, right. I did also say this is, um, it, it's maybe an overused word, but it, it's very descriptive about what you were, we're doing is this, this tribal knowledge. You can't show up in an industry and say, I'm going to fix this industry because I'm a tech guy. You have to be, as you said, have managed a, a shipment before, have, have had that uncomfortable conversation or said, I, I don't know where your freight is or we're going to expedite it and understand all the, you, you need somebody who's managed freight. That's what it comes down to. And I think, but there's, there's another piece to it, which is you can have a lot of guys who really understand the freight business who don't understand uh, the APIs. And, you know, it's not just understanding the APIs is building a tech company is different than building a freight brokerage. And so you have to have some sort of hybrid. And yes. And what's most important at the end of the day is, you know, I've, been very focused on bringing in the right talent into our team that brings unique perspectives. So our CTO has never brokered a load before. Now I've been teaching him a lot about the industry over the last eight months or 10 months, but he has a very fresh perspective, both in terms of technology. He's on the younger side. He doesn't have you know 20 years of tech experience, and he also doesn't have 20 years of freight experience. What he has is a very young, very creative mind that can look at things in a new way. And potentially, you know, what we're trying to do is change how freight moves. I know it still goes in a truck at the end of the day, and it still is driven by a person for right now, but we want to be creative about the solutions that we're bringing to customers and think about, like, we're not just building a TMS. We're not going to go sell a TMS in the market, like to a broker or anything like that. That's, that's uninteresting to me. What is interesting to me is, actually developing game-changing and life-changing technology that can really change a transportation manager's life because they are able to spend most of their time with exception management and not with problems. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been great, Matt. I appreciate you taking the time. And again, I think it's a great niche. It's an, um, such a, when you say niche, it almost, there, it's an enormous market and it's getting bigger. Uh, this cross border is a real challenge. I've been back and forth this last few years to Laredo and Nuevo Laredo and some places uh, down in Mexico. And moving that freight is got, we got a lot better, but there's lots of room for improvement. And it sounds like you guys are doing it. So tell us a little bit about Forager. You, you referenced it a few times. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are up to. And, you know, if somebody wants to continue the conversation, how they can do that. We're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to move freight in and out of Mexico and Canada. So what we're going to be launching in the next few weeks is a portal for customers to log in. They can plug in an origin and destination pairing as well as where the load's crossing if it's going into Mexico or out of Mexico, and they'll get a rate back instantly. And if they like the rate, they can book the load. Now, if they want to talk to us and if they want our help with it, absolutely, we're happy to help with that. But a lot of people, especially as like more people from my generation are getting into this industry, people don't want to talk to everybody all the time. They want to just log into a website and get a rate. They don't want to have to wait 30 minutes or two hours for somebody at a brokerage to email someone else within that brokerage asking for a price and be able to send it back three hours, you know, two, three hours later. They want to rate right now. Everybody wants everything right now. It's how instant messaging and text messaging works. So we're building solutions for customers to try to make that entire life cycle that much easier. Matt, it's interesting. You, you mentioned you know, that you can have a conversation. You can make a phone call and there's a real human on the other, other end. That's great. But at some point you might say, look, my first load, I didn't feel quite comfortable. I didn't know these guys maybe had a conversation, but I'm doing 10 loads a week. And after a while, I don't need to have that conversation. And it reminds me when Amazon first came out, they had their 1-800 number, their 1-855 number, whatever it was, right at the top where you could call. Now the idea that you would go on Amazon and say, oh, I'm not sure this is the right product. I'm going to send a quick email or call. It just seems like, no, they, they figured it out already. No, <laughs> you, can't even, there. <laughs> you can't even find Amazon's phone number anywhere anymore. It's, like, it's well, not on the Amazon app. It's interesting, though. I had a problem with something. After, I forgot what it was, but I was in a chat and they said, would you like us to call? And I said, yes. And they called me right away. And I was like, wow. So they, they, yes, they can do it. But the customer, me, not even interested. If, if, if 50 something guys are saying, why would I call Amazon? Clearly, it's people in their 20s and 30s who are coming up are going to say, no, absolutely not. I'm not calling Amazon. So or forager for, for help. But I think it's nice that there's somebody who's knowledgeable on the other line if I do need to talk to someone. Exactly. We are still the experts in cross-border logistics, but we're trying to, or we are transferring that that tribal knowledge into the technology to, to make it useful for everybody. Very nice. So Matt, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your company's website. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile so people can reach out to you. And any final thoughts on, to, on our conversation? It's been awesome talking to you. It's, I've done a decent amount of interviews lately and a couple podcasts and filmed something with FreightWaves recently. And obviously Craig knows his stuff when it comes to logistics, but it's always refreshing when I don't have to explain logistics to the person I'm talking to. So as, as we kind of continue to build our <laughs> brand you. and everything, hopefully people will become more aware of what we're doing. But if they're not, I'll be at the JOC conference next week and then I'll be at the FreightWaves conference in November doing a actually doing two things at the FreightWaves conference. One is a fireside chat talking about logistics technology. And then we're also going to be, Craig and I are doing a debate on where, what is a better place to build a logistics business, Chicago or Chattanooga? Well, I will see you there because Craig just asked me to moderate that debate. 
Oh, boy. oh no! I hope I didn't preach. <laughs> I hope I didn't preach this here. Oh my god! No, well, I, I think just talked to Craig. I actually think you're listening. I talked on to Craig website. on my podcast. I talked to Craig on my podcast not so long ago, and so I guess it's only fair that I talk to you. So yeah, I look forward to meeting you and Craig at that conference. I just I I have to talk to Arlen uh, this week to see uh, understand better my role, but that should be an interesting. I just drove through Chicago as in Milwaukee for some family uh, visits, and uh, as I came through Chicago. I can't believe how many trucks Chicago has. It is like a, you can be in a traffic. If for people who are in from the Midwest, you can be in a traffic jam where the only things you see are trucks. Well, that's <laughs> awesome crazy. because then you're getting all these leads for new carriers to call. That's what everybody in logistics should be thinking about when they're on the highway. Customer or carrier, do I find one of those on the highway? It is funny because I sat in traffic. I go, God, I've never heard of that trucking company. I looked them up on my phone. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah it drives my wife right, crazy when we go on road trips. I'm like, oh, my God, we work with that carrier. Oh, my God, we work with that carrier. Hey, look at that facility over there. We've I've shipped something out of there. Drives her absolutely crazy. Oh, yeah. We were just on a, another call with CoVideo, and that was the big joke is, have you, as a logistics guy, have you ever driven by a warehousing park, you know, some industrial park where you don't go, oh, hold on, I'm going to drive through here and see who's here <laughs> and start writing down names, taking pictures. Yeah, I've asked her to write down anyway. names plenty of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great. And I do really appreciate you taking the time today, Matt. And I look forward to meeting you over at Freightways. I think that's the second week in November. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you. And thank you for being on here. And thank everyone for listening. Your continued support is very much appreciated. So till next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. <laughs>